wouldn't evangelism be so much easier if Jesus would just do it himself? <laughs> right? I mean, he's smart, he's charming, he's winsome. I mean, he's God, right? It's so much easier if he would just do it. And yet, as we've been talking about these last two weeks, Jesus invites us to participate with him in this great opportunity to call people to move from death into life, right? To move from darkness into light, to actually have their deepest pains and hurts, brokennesses and sicknesses all be met by the Lord God Almighty who desires to redeem all things and heal all things and cure all things and bring life. And the great privilege that we have is that he says, I'm already doing this. My Holy Spirit is moving through the world. And I've provoked and inspired people to begin to ask questions, to become curious, and I'm going to give you the great opportunity to do it with me. You don't have to do it yourself. You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it by your own power, but come alongside with me and get a front row seat at what I do. Participate with me and find the fact that your words will become my words in that situation. Your hand of comfort outstretched will be my hand of comfort outstretched. I'm going to do this, and you're going to get to do it with me. And out of the abundance of what we have come and seen Jesus do in our own lives, we're going to have the ability to go and tell other people about what we've experienced so they too can come and see what Jesus is doing. That's what we've been talking about for the last two weeks, and that's what we're going to continue to talk about this week. Uh, My name is Greg Howe. One of the ways I volunteer and serve at the church is to serve on the preaching team. And so Rich said, you know, we've been talking about evangelism, but what it means for us to come and to see and then to go and to tell and to invite people, could you break it down and make it practical? And so I thought it would be great to look at what does it mean for us to journey with others across the various thresholds of faith? And we're going to use the passage that was shown in that video, John 4, 1 through 42, because I think Jesus, with great generosity and humility and humbleness and graciousness and power um, helps that Samaritan woman move across these thresholds of faith. And when I say thresholds of faith, I'm thinking about some research that was done by colleagues of mine, uh, Don Everts and Doug Schaup. Um, They're both natural evangelists. They interviewed 2,000 people, younger people who made the move from death to life, who decided to become Christians, and they analyzed 2,000 of these interviews and then said, what are the patterns that we see in how people actually come to faith? And I'd like to walk us through what those thresholds are. And as I do so, before I do so, I'd like you to think about one person in your life right now that you feel like, I think God put me in a relationship with them because I'm supposed to be a witness to them. I'm in a relationship with them because I think God wants me to be an ambassador to them. Okay, can you identify, any, right, it can be somebody at your workplace, it can be a neighbor, it can be a family member, right, but somebody that you actually know, that God has put you in relationship with to be an ambassador to. And I want to acknowledge, some of you in the room may be like, I'm not yet a Christian, I'm not here to be an ambassador to anyone. Great, identify where you are on these thresholds as well. So what um, Doug and Don found is that there are five thresholds, and the first one is there are a lot of people who not only um, are disinterested in Christianity, they don't trust Christians. Can you think of anybody like that? 
who think maybe they're ever so slightly hypocritical, angry, mean-spirited, or just obnoxious. I mean, you're in New York. You should be able to identify somebody in your, right? And the first, the first goal in helping people move past that threshold is to help them begin to trust a Christian, right? The first step is help them trust a Christian. The next step, if after they trust a Christian, um, would be they may trust you, they just don't care about what you believe, right? For some of you, they're like, they think I'm a nice person, they just don't care what I believe. It's nice that you're religious, I'm not religious. Many of you told Pastor Rich after the first sermon on evangelism two weeks ago, you know, my friends know I'm a Christian and what they do is continually thank me that I never preach at them, right? They know you're Christian, they just don't care and they're glad that you know they don't care, right? And so the goal there is then to awaken curiosity, Begin to help them become curious about faith, particularly your faith. If they're willing to be curious about your faith and you're starting to have conversations about faith, they move into the third threshold, which is um, change. At some point, the issue with Christian faith is, are you willing to change? More importantly, frankly, are you willing to be changed? Are you willing to have God change the way you believe and what you believe? Are you willing to have God change the way you think? Are you willing to have God change the way you act? <clears throat> and a lot of us like to skip over that, right? Like, just come to faith. Nothing has to change. But the reality is the good news, right, for all of us is everything changes. Praise God. And so the third threshold is how do you help people begin to be open for change? After they're willing to be open to change, they're willing to have spiritual conversations with you, Doug and Don found that the next step tends to be how do you move them from general interest in spiritual things to actually seeking Jesus? How do you help them begin to turn a general spiritual search into a pursuit of Jesus himself? And then to make and to cross that line to say, I want to become a follower of Jesus, right? That that's the searching stage. And then after that, the next threshold is you may have decided you want to become a follower of Jesus. We're not done. We want to invite you to become a follower of Jesus, that you begin to shape your life around who Jesus is, right? So these are the five thresholds. And again, think about Who's the person God has put you in relationship with so that you can be an ambassador to? Where are they on this threshold? And we're going to walk through each one of them, but I want you to identify where they're at so you know, and you're, you can figure out what one-fifth of the sermon is most applicable to you. Sorry, but hopefully the rest will be interesting. Um, and if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, where on these thresholds are you? Let's go back again and look at this passage, because I think Jesus helps this woman move from distrust to trust. Um, because he actually walks her through all five stages in this passage. John 4, verses 1 through 6. Now, Jesus had learned that, that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, though, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee, right? He's headed north. Now, he had to go through Samaria, which isn't actually true. Most Jews walked around Samaria, but Jesus was compelled by the Spirit to go into Samaria. Why? Because he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the noon hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. 
I want you to picture the scenario, right? Jesus has been journeying for a day and a half. It's now noon in the Middle East. The sun is beating down. It's dry. It's dusty. You're tired. Um, your disciples have gone into the town to um, find food, but you're at the well that's the furthest well from the town. You're at the far edges, the outskirts of the town, and you see this woman walk up. You see a woman walk up alone, carrying a large jug that she needs to fill, and you have to think, that woman has to be pretty thirsty to be coming to a well in the middle of the day, right? Alone, because you don't go get water from a well in the middle of the day in the Middle East. You do it in the early morning when it's still cool and you can use the water all day. You might replenish it at the end of the day if you were watering your flocks or needed a little bit more water. But nobody goes in the middle of the day when it's really hot and the sun is beating down on you and the dust is in the air. And you certainly don't go then because nobody else is going then. And so there's a reason this woman is going alone without friends in the middle of the day to get water because she's pretty isolated for reasons that we'll discover later. And that's what Jesus seems to notice about her as he interacts with her. And Jesus begins a conversation with her and she's really shocked. She's shocked and I suspect she's a little nervous, right? She's a little put off because if you think about it, any woman here at church will tell you, right, if you're alone in an isolated location and there's nobody else around and you see a strange man sitting there, you're physically beginning to worry about your safety, right? Because he's bigger than you and stronger than you and you're isolated and you're alone. She's isolated socially. She's isolated physically. She's also a little bit at a disadvantage racially, right? But she can tell he's a Jew, and she's a Samaritan. Now, they're in Samaria. She's in the majority. But the reality is all the Jews thought the Samaritans were worse than dogs. And so she's walking into a situation where she's alone. She's physically vulnerable. She's socially vulnerable. And she's racially vulnerable. She must suspect that he despises her without even ever having talked to her. And with that power differential, right, if he's a man, a Jew, and physically stronger, and she's weak, and a Samaritan, and socially and physically isolated, Jesus does this really surprising thing. He asks her a question. Will you give me a drink? And then suddenly, the genius of that question, which I think was a real question, is suddenly everything begins to change, right? Right? Suddenly, he's no longer strong and powerful and independent. He now approaches her as somebody in need. He's human to her. He's not just an abstraction of this potentially violent, unknown man, but he's somebody who she can help, that she's empowered to help, that she has something that he needs. And all of a sudden, they're no longer... Um, unequals meeting, they're actually meeting in a common place. In fact, Jesus has put himself a step lower than her, as Jesus always seems to do in his incarnation. And he says, will you give me a drink? One of the ways that we help people begin to trust Christians is that we just have to be normal human beings. <laughs> right? What they're really, what our non-Christian friends are really longing is, can you show me that you're a normal person, that you don't think you're holier than me, have your life put more together than me, that you're smarter to me, that you have answers that I don't really care about because I haven't asked that question yet, right? And I think we can do it because one thing I know about you as a congregation, right, as the people I worship every week is you're pretty weak. 
You're pretty broken, you're pretty sinful, and you're pretty conflicted. How do I know that's true? Because you show up every week. That's why we're here, right? The only reason you show up at church is because you struggle with sin, because you're broken, you need help. It's why we have the Emotionally Healthy Everything course. Because you're pretty messed up people. Be real people to the people around us, right? We should just, this should be natural for us. How hard can it be just to be normal? Now, some of you are thinking like I am, actually. (laughs) But um, one of the ways that we show that we're normal people is that we ask for help, right? It's true, you should be holy and kind and gentle. I think a way to build trust is to ask somebody, um, will you give me a drink? Translate that into your workplace. Hey, I'm really worried about my son right now. Um, I'd appreciate any thoughts, prayers, or good, uh, good vibes that you have to send in my direction. I'm really troubled by what's going on in our country right now, and my heart is breaking. Um, how are you coping? Do you have any advice or words of wisdom for me? I see what happened with Irma and with Harvey and with the mudslide in Sierra Leone, and I feel so powerless so often to make a difference. How do you manage um, to feel like you're actually contributing to what's going on in the world in a positive way? Do you see what happens when you ask these questions? These are real questions that we should be wrestling with, and they're questions that allow us to engage with other people who do not yet know Jesus as normal people. You lower the scales, right? Suddenly we're approaching them as friends, as people who also have needs, who also have desires and hopes and aspirations and dreams that aren't being fulfilled. And I think when we do that, all of a sudden we're a lot more trustworthy. The second move is if they think we're trustworthy, if they, we actually are trustworthy, right, is that we hope that they move from indifference to spiritual things to actual curiosity to spiritual things, right? But it's nice that they trust you, but how do we actually begin to have them be curious about spiritual things? And I, again, watch how Jesus does this. So the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? because Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as also did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks from this well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Did you see how Jesus worked that interaction? Um, I think for the woman as she's initially engaged with him, she's really thinking, will you give me a drink? Is some sort of lame version of, hey, can I buy you a drink? (laughs) Or come here often, right? And you can tell that she thinks maybe he's sort of hitting on her or at least being inappropriate because she responds with like shade and a stiff arm. Why are you even talking to me? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, right? Like don't even waste my time. With this, can I get you a drink? Um, 
she's not interested in a faith conversation, right? She hasn't even completely decided to trust him yet. But you'll notice what Jesus does is Jesus drops interesting questions and conversation pieces that begin to provoke and pique her curiosity, right? She's like, why are you a Jew asking me for a Samaritan for a drink? And he goes, you know, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for this drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she's like, living water? What's living water? Now, commonly in the culture, living water is just fresh flowing water, but this man has nothing to offer me water with. He can't even access the well. What kind of living water could he possibly have? And he begins to lead her into a conversation. And slowly that conversation begins to turn a little more spiritual. She's like, you think you're better than our patriarchs? And he's like, oh, if you had the water I have, you wouldn't need to be coming back to this well all the time, every day. Your thirst would be satisfied. Don't you feel thirsty? And all of a sudden, they've moved to a place where she's engaging in a deeper conversation than they had started with, right? And I think you get a sense from that back and forth forth, that she's been thirsty a long time in ways far deeper than she's ever known, right? She's longing for something that she can't even name, and Jesus is slowly bringing that to her awareness by his gracious interaction with her. She points to her physical need of thirst, and he begins to suggest that she's something for something more, that there's living water that would actually feed her soul. And I think for most of us, part of what we need to learn to do is ask questions and engage people in conversations that help point out to the deeper, richer things that are going on in our life that they don't even have access to. Um, I mentioned the book Out of the Salt Shaker by Becky Pippert. She tells about a conversation she had with a friend who was in the middle of an affair, and she like hated being in the affair, but she couldn't get herself to stop. You know anybody like that? And she said, her friend finally said, look, I just think sex is evil, and if I could just stop being sexual, my life would be so much better now. And Becky said, you can't stop being sexual. It's like stop being human. That, that just doesn't work. And the woman said, but I know, but sex is evil and I just am so addicted and I don't know what to do. And Becky said, you know, the problem is your addiction and not with sex. You see, sex is a good thing because you really want love and nurture and care and intimacy, don't you? And the woman was like, yeah, that's exactly it. Becky, please don't tell me that you think God will be enough for me for everything because I just want to be held by a physical person. I want to be loved and cared for. I want to be intimate and known by somebody. And Becky said, you know, that's absolutely right. Of course you do. And the challenge for you is that erotic sex and um, romantic relationships are so close to what we desire, but they will never be enough. And you have, there's something far deeper and richer in you than that. And you take all of your hungers for this deeper relationship that I think is your desire for God, and you put it all in the area of your sex drive, and that's why sex will not satisfy you. I don't think you can stop being sexual. I just want to suggest that there's something so much more real and true about you. You want to describe yourself as just a sexual being. I want to describe you as somebody who is really made for heaven. And I love how... She takes just a common, ordinary conversation and begins to point to what's the bigger, transcendent, true thing that our deepest longings point to, right? That's why I love the question Pastor Rich has been asking people in our um, community for the last couple months uh, here in the neighborhood. What's the good news that you're waiting for? Remember that question he asked two weeks ago? Wait, what a great question. What's the good news you're waiting for? Another question like that might be, 
um, on someone's birthday, what's your dreams for the year to come? What are your hopes and aspirations? Right? Because if you start thinking about that, you start thinking not just about the life that you're living, you're starting to think about the things that you long for, the things that you care about. What are you hoping will happen in your family in the year to come? Which is a great question around the holidays. Um, because when we ask those questions that point us to something bigger than ourselves, all of a sudden we get curious. What's the meaning of the life that I lead? Where am I going? Why do I care about this community and these people? How do I experience and extend love, right? All of those begin to create curiosity about things that are bigger than ourselves. This is particularly, frankly, where alpha is particularly good for us. Alpha is really designed to help people who are starting to ask questions about things bigger than themselves. Why is there suffering in the world? What's our purpose in life? Is there a God? It's these kind of questions. And so if you know somebody who's in this threshold, Alpha is a perfect place to bring them because it will lead them then through the following thresholds as they go. From there, right, if they're starting to have spiritual conversations and they've begun um, to trust part of what Don and um, Doug suggest is they have to move from being closed to change, to open to change. By which we mean, right, the reality is uh, the gospel changes us. It changes the ways we think, it changes what we believe, it changes how we behave, or it's supposed to, right? And so part of what you have to be willing to do if you're willing to pursue Jesus is, am I open to change? Am I open to changing the ways I think, the cha- they wait to change the ways I feel, to change the ways I live, to change what I believe? And the goal is to help people move from being closed to change to open to change. And you'll notice this is how Jesus does this in this conversation. Because she's like, okay, I want this kind of living water. I'm thirsty. And Jesus says, um, go, bring your husband and come back. Right? Kind of, if you're interested, let's get your entire household in on this. And the woman says, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you have, now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Now, let's be really clear. In a woman at that time, there's a reason she's had five husbands. Um, It's because five men have already rejected her. Because in that time, in that culture, it's not like a woman could initiate a divorce easily or at all, right? She's been um, the victim of five men saying, I'm tired of you, be gone, and she's out, Right? The first time it happens, it's wounding, but she gets the next guy who then goes, you're secondhand goods, and then she's thirdhand goods, right? She's been cast off five different times by five different men, and she's both vulnerable enough because she's a single woman in a culture where you cannot be an older single woman and survive economically or physically, and she's emotionally vulnerable enough that she's willing to be with another man who won't, who's actually pre-rejected her, right? He won't even marry her. He's already started that relationship by saying, I'm rejecting you in part. And I think what I love about Jesus is that he doesn't shame her for this. He affirms her truthfulness and her dignity and value. But she goes, I don't have a husband. She goes, he goes, you're right, you've had five and the man you're living with right now isn't one. I love that last sentence, right, that he says, what you have said is quite true. Rather than going, yeah, you're a terrible woman or you might be of questionable morals, he affirms her truthfulness. 
He affirms her honesty. He affirms what she's experienced and he validates and dignifies her, right, in that. And he's saying, you're right, you have not gotten what you hoped for. You've not gotten what you've longed for. And you've spoken the truth. And then she starts a conversation that some people said, it really seems like she's distracted, like, I don't want to talk about the husband thing. Let me ask you about where we should worship. Should it be on this mountain or in Jerusalem? But I think what's happening for her, she's realizing, you're right, this is not the life I want. This is not the conditions under which I want to live, and this, these are not the conditions in which I can flourish. And she says, look, I can tell you must be a prophet, with some understatement. Um, and then she begins to push towards spiritual things. If you're a prophet and you're a Jew, then you tell me, how do we pursue this God? that we both claim to worship. I was told we could worship here. You people say we should worship over there. Which one is it, right? Because as soon as she's open to change, as soon as she realizes the life that she has is not the life that she wants, she's now beginning to pursue spiritual things with greater clarity and greater honesty. And then the rest of that conversation is, you know, why we worship where we're worshiping, but she wants to know the truth now. She's moved from close to change to being open and desperate for change. And the way Jesus does it is he asks questions and he probes into the reality of her life. I remember a colleague of mine, um, Jeanette, was meeting with a student week after week. I work with University Christian Fellowship on college and university campuses, and she was meeting with this non-Christian student. Every week, he had another question for her about Jesus. Like, why did this happen? How do I understand this? Blah, blah, right? Like, eight weeks they met uh, every week for an hour and a half to talk through his evangelistic questions. And they were getting nowhere, and she finally said, look, stop wasting my time. Ask me a question that actually matters to you and would help you pursue Jesus, or let's stop meeting because I have other things I can do, and certainly you have other things to do too, don't you? And the student sat back and said, okay, you're right. And he started asking real questions, and he was finally open to change. He wasn't using the apologetics questions as a smokescreen. Her response is, I can see that you're a prophet. Tell me about what faith and belief look like. She's thirsty to know God and beginning to pursue him. The next step is then, how do you help somebody go from openly spiritually seeking to actually pursuing Jesus? Um, And it's important, right? You'll know um, the pursuit of who Jesus is occurs after those first three thresholds are crossed. And I think too often, we're too quick to say, you should follow Jesus, and that would take care of this drug problem that you have. Or if you just pursued Jesus, it would fix that relationship. And until they're willing to have the change happen in their life, they don't really care about Jesus fixing it, do they? Right? And we all know that we don't change until we want something to be different. But as soon as they're willing to be different, you can begin to point them toward Jesus, Don and Doug suggest. (laughs) until you begin to watch that conversation happen in verses 25 and 26. The woman said, after this conversation about where we should worship, I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us, that there is an answer and he's coming one day. And then Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Right? The vague spiritual search for hope and answers begins to be focused specifically on this person, Jesus. And Jesus draws attention to himself. He says, your hopes and aspirations, longings and desires are being met right here. I am the one you have looked for. And what I love is she's throughout this process continuing to take the initiative, driving toward it, and Jesus points to himself. And when we are clear about who Jesus is, 
And when we clearly point to Jesus at the right time, I think, I think things begin to unlock for people. Um, right after I took the bar exam, I went, to, I went to England and kind of what lawyers do, they go uh, on long vacation. And um, after you take the barbs, you're exhausted. And I happened to be in London on a Sunday and being a good churchy kind of person. I was planning to go to church, uh, but I wanted to stop and see this one church just architecturally before I went to the church I was going to worship at. But sadly, they were like Disney. They had greeters at the door and they were Chinese. And they said, hi, are you looking for our church? And being Chinese, I could not say no. And so um, conflict avoidant, I ended up showing up at their church service. It was hot, it was unair conditioned, I was a little sleepy, the sermon was long. But one great thing about going to Chinese churches in many parts of the world is if you show up, they will feed you. Um, because they serve lunch at that church, like many Chinese churches do. And so I was eating lunch, and um, I, you know, um, I took my plate and went up to the balcony area where there was seating, and it was like this hot curry and this hot day, and I was like, okay, it's really hot, but I should sit somewhere. And I didn't know where to sit, it felt like junior high all over again in the cafeteria that first day of school. And I saw this woman, she wasn't Chinese, so I thought at least I can probably sh I share a language with her. Like my Mandarin is really bad. So I sat down um, with her, and she was from Iran. And she goes, you must wonder why I'm here. And I thought, I do wonder what you're doing at this very Chinese church, because I'm Chinese, and I wasn't planning to be here. So I'm like, yeah, why are you here? <laughs> and she said, you know, um, her name was Jasmine. Um, she and her family had escaped Iran after the fall of the Shah and the... Um, the, revolu the Islamic revolution there, and she was living in London, and she said, you know, I've gotten to know a lot of the women in my neighborhood, many of whom are women who attend this church, and over time, we've become friends, and over time, they've talked to me about spiritual things, and I'm religious, I'm Muslim, and we've had these great conversations, and I'm so intrigued by their Jesus. She said, you know, I I'm fascinated because um, we've been doing this Bible study together, and he's um, so angry about injustice, he hates... Um, religious oppression, and yet he's so loving to people on the margins, and he seems to offer life to people. Um, I, I just am compelled by this Jesus that you all worship. And I said, that's, that's amazing. That's wonderful. Um, what's your next step? Like, how are you pursuing this? And he said, well, here's my problem. As a Muslim, I think what you're teaching is heresy. <laughs> I mean, you think he's God. I don't. So she said, what I'm honestly doing at this stage is I'm trying to determine if what you're teaching is true or not. If I could believe Jesus claimed to be God, I would follow him regardless of the cost. But if Jesus didn't claim to be God and you Christians are saying that he's God, then you are a heresy that's worse than any other heresy in the world and you should be stamped out immediately. And I thought, well, there's clarity. <laughs> but she said, I can't get over this Jesus that I've met in your scriptures. And so I'm in this Bible study with these women. I'm in this church because I want to know who, what Jesus said about himself. And if he claimed to be God, I will become a follower of Jesus. And we continue to have a great conversation through that rest of that meal. You see, when they've moved from distrust to a position of trust, when they start to ask spiritual questions, when they actually are now open to change and they're seeking, the goal is point them toward Jesus. And then the goal at that point also is to eventually ask the question, would you like to become a follower of Jesus? Now, for a lot of us, as soon as I said that, something froze in your heart like, <gasps> I mean, both in fear of what if they say, are you kidding? No. Or even worse, maybe, yes. And then we're like, what do I do now? <laughs> but here's the thing, right? 
At some point, you have to ask. As Rich reminded us last week, you are God's ambassadors. He is making his appeal through you. So let go of the fear of rejection because they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the God who speaks through you. And that's, that should grieve us and worry us far more than having somebody say no to us. Because if you don't care more about God's reputation than you care about your reputation, something is wrong. And if they have said, actually, yes, I would love to do this, don't be afraid. God is already at work. He will take care of it. You cannot do it wrong. Just say, awesome. Let's tell God that together. Right? Have them express to God however they want. And however they can, I want to be a follower of yours. I do believe Jesus came, and he is who he claimed to be, and I want to follow you. And all you need to do is say, yes, God, hear this prayer. What we found in InterVarsity over the last 13 years is that we weren't doing enough asking because we were doing a lot of the other things. We were doing Bible studies. We were doing open air things. We were doing alpha. We just didn't get around to asking because we were afraid. And about 13 years ago, we said, we are going to start asking. We're going to ask in our sermons. We're going to ask in our Bible studies. We're going to ask one-on-one. And over the last 13 years, we've seen conversions grow by 130%. Literally thousands of students coming to faith every year when we didn't think that would be true. We actually believe now there are more students and more faculty longing to come to faith than we've ever thought was possible. Because we finally got up the courage to go, it's not about me. Let me just ask. Finally, the next step is, right, wherever they're at, if they decide to become a follower of Jesus, they just have to start following Jesus. And here's what I love about the story. She encounters Jesus. She seems to have a change. And then she says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see this man who told me everything I've ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. And many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did, she said. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him him to stay with them. And he Uh, stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. How does this woman invite her townspeople that have rejected her and avoided her and shamed her all those years to come meet Jesus? Look at the word she uses. Come and see. Have we heard those words before? Right? Rich talked about them two weeks ago because that's how Jesus responded to the first disciples when they said, Master, tell us where you live. And he said, come and see. Spend time with me and get to know me. And what I love about this woman is that after her conversion to Jesus, she's beginning to already sound like Jesus. She's using the words Jesus used Jesus said, come, see who I am, and encounter me, and meet me, Paul, I mean, Peter, and Andrew, James, and John, and this woman goes to her town and goes, come and see this man, right? She's starting to look like Jesus. She's starting to do the things that Jesus did, and it's having this marvelous impact in her town because she came and saw Jesus, and now she's going and telling about Jesus, and those people that she goes and tells about Jesus 
have started to come and see Jesus for themselves, right? And you see how that pattern begins to work. As we come and see Jesus and are changed by him, we go and tell other people about him and they encounter Jesus and they come and see and they begin to go and tell. And 2,000 years later, lo and behold, here we are in this room. What an amazing thing to participate in that. The great thing about this woman's story for those of us who hang out at places like church is that it invites us to come and see Jesus again for ourselves, to allow the thirsty parts of our soul to be filled and watered and nurtured. And out of the abundance of our experience with Jesus, out of the reality and richness of our lives, we go and tell other people about him. And the invitation is this, come and see him for yourself. And then slowly they become more like Jesus as well. Brothers and sisters, I've walked through these five thresholds. I want you to think about two things first. One, think about the friend that God has put you in relationship with so that you can be an ambassador to them. Where are they again on these five thresholds? How could you help them move from one place to the next? If you're not yet a Christian and you're here, and I'm so glad you are, where are you? And what's the right next thing that you need to do to take initiative to help yourself move one further step along these thresholds? I want to suggest to you, even though I've talked about what our role is, the good news that we proclaim, right, is that it's actually God who's moving people through the thresholds. His Holy Spirit is already at work in people's lives. Jesus already said the harvest fields are white. They're ready for harvest, right? I've done all the work. All you have to do is come alongside me. I will actually lift up my hand and harvest it for you if you will just walk alongside me and pretend that you were doing it with me. In the same way that I love cooking with my children, where largely I'm cooking around them, but I'm so delighted that they want to do it with me, And I love the fact that they think they're doing all the work. (laughs) And the great thing is, we're thoroughly enjoying doing it together. That's the invitation that God's making to us, right? That's the hope. Don't worry about doing it wrong. Just do it with God. Don't worry about doing it wrong. Just do it with God. He's already doing the work. What are some next steps? I want to suggest for some of us, if you're just like, I don't know what to say, I get really hung up, I'd love more of a model because the questions you gave me aren't enough. Um, Becky Pippert's book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, is my favorite book on evangelism. I reread it about every couple of years because it inspires me, challenges me, and I go, oh, I could say that. And it's not like a, here's, it's not robotic. You just actually see somebody having normal human relationships. You go, I could be normal, sort of. And so it's just a wonderful book on evangelism. It's my absolute favorite. Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. For some of us, our next step will look like this. Um, we're offering a class here at New Life um, the Saturday, September 23rd, this coming Saturday, the next Saturday, and October 7th, um, called Power and Love uh, Evangelism. It'll be in the mezzanine conference rooms on Saturday. Here's the deal. You don't even have to go to all three. Choose one, choose two, come to all three. It's like a smorgasbord of evangelism training. And um, they'll do some training, and then they'll give you some low-risk practice times in the neighborhood so that you can practice on strangers before you talk to people you actually know. 
right? Just to lower the anxiety. It'll be awesome. Um, brothers and sisters, God wants to do this with you. He's already doing it, and he says, come and see me at work, and then go and tell the good news that you've experienced in me. And so let me pray for us and have the worship team come up. Lord, we're here today because somebody um, actually came and followed you and then went and told us about you. Would you give us the incredible, overwhelming joy to do the same? Feed us deeply of your body and of your presence, Lord, so that out of the richness of what you've already done in us, we'd have something to say uh, to those that you've put around us. And then, would you give us the great delight of watching people turn from death to life? Amen. As we close our service here, I want to invite uh, the prayer team to come to my left, invite those who are going to be offering the bread and the cup to come to my right. And uh, what Greg so wonderfully uh, taught us today really boils down to the reality is the Christian life is about being found by Jesus out of which we find people to be found by God. And that's really the call. We are, we are ones who are found. Jesus finds us. And he commissions us, sends us to find others who are to be found by God as well. And God has strategically placed you in places all throughout New York City. You're not there just by accident. God has strategically placed you there because there are people who are around you, co-workers and family members, neighbors and friends, who are in desperate need of the good news of Jesus. And God has uniquely placed you there to build that sense of trust, to, to create that sense of curiosity, to facilitate when there's change that's coming in their lives, to be there for, for that, to, to invite them to follow Jesus in that way. He has strategically placed you in your school, in your job. You're probably saying, I hate my job. But before you leave, before you go, might you ask God, Lord, why did you put me here in the first place? And it might be more than just to get a paycheck. It might be because God has called you and sent you to find people who need to be found by him. And so before you quit your job, before you leave your school, before you leave your home, before you move someplace else, might you ask the question, Jesus, who have you strategically surrounded me with who needs good news? That's why we're here, brothers and sisters, not just to have a good time with us in Jesus, but to offer that to the world for the sake of the world, just like we just sang. And so we have our prayer team to my left. Maybe you came in here and you yourself, you're seeking. You yourself, you're like the Samaritan woman. You're thirsty. You've never uh, enjoyed the waters that only Jesus can bring. And you want to become his follower today. You want to begin to follow Jesus today. Our prayer team would love to pray for you. And maybe you came in here and you know God has strategically placed you there but you need courage, you need boldness, you need passion, you need something, you need God to do something inside of you to help you cross a threshold of sharing your own faith and inviting others into that journey as well. And so whatever needs you have today, whatever uh, fear that you're, you're carrying here, our prayer team love to pray with you, anoint you with oil as a sign of the Holy Spirit's empowerment on your life. And so don't run out of here if you sense God calling your name. And to my right, we have the Lord's table. We come, we are reminded to the, the length to which God went to be in relationship with us. He dies on a cross, he resurrects 
on the third day, he sends us the Holy Spirit. And so when we take this, this bread and the cup, it's our feast every single week. We're coming back to it. The, the extent of love to which God reached out to you. And that's why we take the bread and the cup. And lastly, before I, I bless you all today, downstairs in the shell room, if you want to get the express way, you can just go right through those doors there, that door downstairs. We have different small groups that are starting. We have about eight new small groups, many different new uh, small groups that are restarting. And so if you're not connected in any way to, at New Life to other people in a small group, in some kind of community, you cannot do this alone. You will get nowhere going alone. You will get very far if you go with others. And so uh, stop by there. Even if you are just looking to get, to be curious as to what's happening here, go downstairs and see all the great activity and small groups that are starting at New Life. Well, as we, as we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven. If you're watching online, open your hands as well. This is a sign of receiving blessing out of which we offer ourselves as a gift for the sake of the world. That's why we're here, for the sake of the world and so with your hands and your hearts in the posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God may the Lord bless you and may he keep you may he shine his face upon you and fill you with great peace and may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit bearing witness to the good news of Jesus may you who are found by God go out to find others to be found by this God as well and may you encounter grace and experience the love of God. And may that love be communicated and expressed everywhere you go. And may we see signs and wonders follow you. May many people come to know Jesus because of our lives together and our witness to Christ together. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the searching name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.